millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called Even When Ferrari Finish First, They Can't Win. That was suggested by Sim Archibald Steele on Twitter. Thank you very much for all your suggestions. Runner up was European, the grass of champions, and Des Corns, who suggested highway robbery or oops, he did it again. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Durumpitz. How's it going, Matt? I'm doing as well as someone who had F1 TV and the app fail on them during the race can be doing. Thanks for being so brave. We're also joined by Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going absolutely great, Spanners. It's always nice to having these these evening races in the UK. It's just a nice time to watch a, a Grand Prix. And can I just say, we're the best ones, us three, because everybody else was saying things like, oh, it's slightly past my bedtime. I can't be bothered to do a race review because I hate the Missed Apex listeners. Well, me, Matt and Chris love you. So we're doing this at 10 p.m. So it may have a different tone to normal. However, I must warn you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Guys, I know you're here to talk about the penalty. We're not going to tease you. We're going to discuss that first. We're going to, for the first time, do Whose Fault Is This right at the top of the show. Whose fault is it? See, Matt, sorry for changing things up. Sorry for ruining your show notes, but I did feel it would be a little bit silly to go through all of qualifying, free practice, 2021 regulations and the new curb structure of the Canadian Grand Prix as well as a a detailed analysis of the new facilities without first talking about what everybody is raging about on the internet. The fact that Sebastian Vettel 
got a penalty, which cost him the lead. Oh, yeah, that's okay. I'm not really that bothered because, of course, it was one of the things in where the race was won and lost. And by far, it wound up being the most consequential one. So I think we are off the same mind. This is what everyone has tuned in for. So let's get it done. So we will be covering all the midfield action. We'll be going through what was actually a very exciting qualifying as well, Matt. So we will get to that as well. Loads of intrigue building up to qualifying too. So I just the whole weekend was a very engaging Formula One spectacle, which is fantastic. But we, we really do need to start with this penalty. So if there's no objections, guys, I'm going to start with what the stewards said. So I'm going to quote the tweet from Andrew Benson. So, of course, it was about, was it, about lap 40-ish, something like that. Lewis Hamilton had been closing the gap. Sebastian Vettel loses control, uh, goes off on one of the chicanes, rejoins the track. There is no contact made. Lewis Hamilton slows down. Uh, Vettel goes off to maintain the lead. The stewards deemed that to be a penalty. The stewards reviewed video evidence and determined that car five, that's Sebastian Vettel, left the track at turn three and rejoined the track at turn four in an unsafe manner and forced car 44 off track. Car 44 had to take evasive action to avoid a collision. Competitors are reminded that they have a right to appeal. The relevant rules are in chapter five of the sporting code 2B, manoeuvres liable to hinder other drivers, such as deliberately crowding the car beyond the edge of the track or any other abnormal change of direction, are strictly prohibited. And 2C, should a car leave the track for any reason and without prejudice to 2D, the next one, the driver may re-enter the track. However, this may only be done when it is safe to do so and without gaining any advantage. It is not permitted to drive any car unnecessarily slowly, erratically, or in a manner deemed potentially dangerous to other drivers at any time. So I immediately have a problem with this. And that's, you cannot appeal a five-second penalty at all. It states very clearly in the Formula One regulations, that cannot be done. So I just thought I would put that out there to for the viewers that may not have caught that if you're watching the Sky broadcast, either here in the States or or over there, there's not actually an appeal available for a five-second penalty. So they could appeal the decision, but they can't have the penalty revoked, could be perhaps what they're driving at. No, 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 there's no appeal. It's just a done deal. Okay, so we've got a few key questions, I think, Chris. And It was basically, is it a penalty at all? Was it on purpose? <laughs> was What was the penalty actually for? You know, did, did Lewis force it? Did Lewis deserve the lead? Did Vettel deserve the lead? What do the rules actually say? I mean, there's there's so many things to pick through. It's no wonder we've got so many different opinions, even on this panel. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that Lewis was piling on the pressure on Sebastian Vettel. It was like watching a shark circling its prey in the, in the hunt for the lead of that race. And let's, let's not beat around the bush. Vettel was really, really struggling in that car. Every time you went on board with him, it was all over the show. Frankly, I'm, I'm surprised that was the only time he, he really got caught out and ended up off the track. Nonetheless, he did. And there's, there's no arguing it. It was his own mistake. For me, the, the crux of the issue comes down to that he goes off on the grass, he rejoins with a lack of grip and has another kick of oversteer that drifts him over to the to the outside, back onto the racing line. And for me, it's, it's a debate about whether, yeah, he's out of control of the car uh, at that point. But at the same time, it's nothing malicious. It's nothing that any other driver 
wouldn't have had to have done to to avoid spinning for example okay then so let's let's lay this all out first of all guys between the three of us what do we think let's just lay out our initial positions and then we'll let matt get in uh, with the, his answer first so for me it was absolutely a nailed on penalty oh hamilton bias you all scream all right all right i get it calm down but for me he came onto the track in such a manner that he had lost the lead and the manner in which he came onto the track meant that he was able to maintain the lead in a weird and unusual way. So when I first saw that, I was in no doubt. I was like, well, of course, that's a penalty. I was quite surprised by the the strength of argument against it. There are a lot of valid points against it and I'm willing to hear them. So Chris, I'm coming from definitely a nailed on penalty. Where are you coming? Uh, I'm leaning towards what, uh, what I think Matt thinks as well, which is that yeah, Seb definitely made a mistake there. Was it worthy of a penalty? I'm not too convinced, but you know, you, you're you're very nailed on to the idea that you know it, it was a slam dunk penalty. Um, but we we saw a very similar incident again with Lewis Hamilton at, at Monaco in 2016. Oh, okay, I'll make a note in that because there, there's some crucial differences, and we will address these similarities because I've I've heard this Monaco argument before. I have no truck with it and I'm happy to defend it. Uh, But let's go with Matt. Firstly, Matt, did you think it should be a penalty? Not this penalty. Oh, I think you could potentially make an argument for gaining an advantage and asking or telling him he needed to yield the position to Hamilton if you were going to make that argument. But to me, the key is the word deliberate um, and to be maneuvers liable to hinder deliberate crowding of the car beyond the edge of the track. I don't think you could argue he rejoined the track unsafely because frankly, having cut across the grass like that, he was not in control of his trajectory until after he was back on the asphalt. And this is the thing that you get when you have grass. Okay, so just quick point of order there. The the rule from the stewards wasn't saying it was because it was deliberate. We have to be absolutely clear here. The penalty was not for deliberately impeding Lewis Hamilton. Where that is mentioned in the stewards' uh, decision is when they reference Chapter 5 of the Sporting Code, the first of which is manoeuvres liable to hinder other drivers, such as, and an example being, deliberate crowding of a car beyond the edge of the track or other abnormal change of direction. So that isn't, it isn't that it must be deliberate in order for this, to, this penalty to apply. Yeah, but I mean, let's cut to the chase. If I'm in a car on the grass and I have no control of that car and the trajectory of the car takes it across the grass and back onto the circuit, have I rejoined unsafely? No, because I rejoining was not a choice that I was capable of making. I was a passenger in a vehicle that had no control. Oh, hang and on. In fact, you can see... Uh, well, no, no, hang on. You, you've just said there, you said if you... You asked a question and then you flowed past it. You said, if I have no control and I rejoin unsafely, did I join unsafely? And the answer is yes, you did uh, join unsafely. You just didn't rejoin unsafely on purpose. No, rejoining implies a level of control that I believe Vettel lacked. So would you be, would you be happier with came back on the track unsafely? Uh, no, because uh, again, if he had suffered a blowout and gone straight through there and run into Hamilton, would he have been penalized for rejoining unsafely? No, because he would have had no control of the vehicle. I don't see this situation as having been any different. And in fact, I will hand it to him. I was impressed he was able to keep the car out of the wall, given if you look at what happened to his car once he left the grass and was back on the circuit, 
it was impressive that he was able to keep the car out of the wall. And he was fully cognizant of where Lewis was and did everything he could to stay out of Hamilton's path. The fact that he couldn't merely speaks to the issues you have when you have grass instead of asphalt runoff areas, which, by the way, I like grass runoff areas for this exact reason, but that's just a side point. So I I should clarify at this point, Chris, I am not stating that this was some kind of panic tantrum where Sebastian Vettel decided his only way of hanging on to it was to block Lewis Hamilton. Now, 2016 Barcelona, I absolutely, 100% am saying that in a similar situation, except it was mechanically caused and not by an error, Nico Rosberg, or actually he might have selected the wrong mode, but Nico Rosberg, so slow at the top of the hill on turn three in Barcelona, 100% went over to block Lewis Hamilton and and push him off and, and more or less succeeded and Hamilton kept his foot in to wipe them out. I'm not suggesting that Vettel did anything deliberate here. However, the, the, that, is, that isn't the question, is it? He wasn't being punished for deliberately attacking Lewis Hamilton and, and blocking him. But, but then I think you have to take a certain amount of common sense into the matter. And, that, you know, it wasn't anything malicious, as I said before. For me, penalties like that should be applied where you see a certain level of incompetency and, and not, you know, aim it at a, a four-time world champion who, who clearly knows what he's doing and actually did a really good job not to drop the car. I mean, we were talking about this pre-show. If that had been an asphalt runoff area, had he done it at any of those other chicanes, we'd have been having a very, very different discussion. And we will have that what if on tarmac discussion. But what's your counter, Matt? Well, I was just thinking of that time Raikkonen was at Silverstone and just basically floored it and jumped back onto the track. That is a much better example, I think, of rejoining unsafely than nobody remembers it. I think it was no, no, I do. Oh, absolutely, it was spectacular. Um, Yeah, no, well. He was deemed to have, have joined unsafely. He definitely kept his foot in. Do we know what Vettel was doing? Like the second he was out of control, did he desperately lift off in an effort to make sure he got rid of all his speed? We don't know. The best I can tell you is that when Chandok reviewed it on Sky, he, I believe, said that Vettel got off the throttle when he was on the grass. But I don't have the telemetry to back it up, nor do the stewards mention that as part of their report. You can hear it in in the audio, and anything beyond you know a little bit of throttle, and he'd have spun straight out on that grass, you know, because there's no grip out. There's barely any grip off the racing line, let alone on the grass. So, are we saying there's zero suspicion of Vettel kind of going, well, do you know what? If I open the steering at this certain point, if I allow myself to drift out, that's going to stop Hamilton getting through. Not suggesting a Schumacher 90s situation here, but, you know, if he's quick thinking enough, he might go, well, I've lost that place unless I get back onto the racing line. I, I, I don't think anyone thinks that quickly, do they? Surely. I mean, I know Formula One drivers have the reaction time of, you know, a tenth of a second, half of what it is for the average person, but uh, I don't think anyone quite thinks that quickly. I mean, a- a- another driver, if you were on your own, if that was in a practice session, for example, he would have slowed down a lot more, for example. But this was for the lead of the Grand Prix. He couldn't afford to drop a mile an hour that he could afford. Matt, there's there's previous. When we've seen Vettel drop it, and fortunately there's a vast body of evidence for us to look back into the archives for, he has got a, a previous... Uh, habit of getting right back on it so when he spins he 
flings his tyres back up, gets to- uh, smoke going so that he can get back on track as quickly as possible. Uh, the one recently was it in Bahrain where Hamilton got ahead of him. He really did keep his foot planted to try and rescue it uh, to make sure that he could maybe come back. It's not inconceivable that through Sebastian Vettel's head, as he went off the grass, his main thought wasn't, let's rejoin in the safest possible way. His thought was, let me rejoin in the fastest possible way so that I can win this race. Well, we won't know what was in Vettel's head. Can't we wildly speculate? We've been doing that for five years now. Why should we stop? Oh, because I want to win the argument, of course. Okay, good, good, good. (laughs) No, as Chris said, it's clear that he was off throttle across the grass. And when he rejoined, he caught a huge snap of oversteer. If he'd had his foot in it when he rejoined, when he rejoined, by which I mean his trajectory carried him back onto the circuit, I don't think there was any keeping it out of the wall. He would have spun it, smashed Hamilton and taken the both of them into the wall. So to me, the, the, the forensic, the physical evidence of what we saw on camera doesn't support that. But you're correct. He wouldn't be a racing driver if he wasn't also trying to get to lose as little time as possible, given his um, given his loss of control there. If I was in 10 years time, because obviously by that time I'll be a legit international icon, just happened to be in a bar with Germany's uh, foremost uh, racing commentator, a certain Sebastian Vettel. And he, after four or five uh, cold beers, he was to say to me, you know what? I did think I'd, I'd block him. I'd better block him or I'm going to lose that race. That was my only chance. And the five second penalty meant that I was second anyway. So there's nothing to lose. If that happened, I wouldn't be a thousand percent stunned and it wouldn't be the most unracing drivery thing we've ever seen. Let's not pretend that racing drivers don't do that kind of thing. I don't know if this is just because there's that clip has been going around of Alex Rossi uh, having a, an amazing save around the ovals in, in IndyCar uh, recently where there was a crash in front of him and he ducked down onto the flat and had a massive swapper and saved it. But could Lewis, do we think, have gone to the other side and just completely drove it around it and this would have been a, a non-issue entirely? Matt, what do you think? Could Lewis have gone the other way? Um, I'd like to see the clip to see if that was possible, but I think he saw the opening and thought he was going to be able to get round Vettel on the outside. <clears throat> if he'd been, if he'd been less aggressive once he saw Vettel have his mistake, it's possible he could have done that, but then he would also have not been Lewis Hamilton. So I think if, if we're looking at, in at reality, no, he was always going to wind up there. To be fair, there is that awful timing wasn't there where the moment you would have started to think about that he was sort of on the inside and so the moment he commits to the outside that's when Seb starts to wander back towards the outside because he has that kick of oversteer and so at that point it's too late to to bail so you know fair fair driving from from Lewis there to not end up either in the wall or in the back of Sebastian Vettel. Let's just talk for a second about how much of a a treat this is for F1 fans and content creators everywhere. Of course, it's a massive point of interest. And we're seeing, you know, nine world championships on track together. And actually, we've been robbed of Lewis and Vettel battles. And we did have it for many, many laps leading up to this incident in this race. Uh, Some people might argue that we were robbed of the ultimate battle. Uh, But the reason we were in this position is because F1 has had this generation-long battle coming through almost almost culminating now. Uh, but, Matt, 
obviously people feel robbed. But I think the thing we need to boil down to is, is it technically a penalty? So for, for me, then, let's get aside, let's get aside the intention side of it. If he, if we definitely say he didn't intend to do it, yet he crossed the grass and gained an advantage, should he have got any kind of reprimand at all? A reprimand? Maybe. Um, a five second penalty? No, I disagree with that. If, anything was going to happen that I believe would have been fair given given the fact that clearly out of control and regaining control, he balked Hamilton from passing him, which is a point that I won't argue because it is true. Now, Hamilton would have got round him had he not caught that oversteer coming back onto the track. Then I think the fair thing to do would have been to request Vettel to yield the position to Hamilton. Then we would have had 12 laps of a race for Vettel to get the position back, and I would have been happy to see that. I still think it would have been a bit harsh on Vettel, mostly because I think we just need someone besides Mercedes to win for the good of the sport, but that's a whole other that's a whole other discussion and not germane to this. It, it kind of is. So good of the sport, that's one. I'll put a pin in that for a second. Now, there's two things, though, when, when it comes to is it technically a penalty? So the first thing for me is the crowding issue, and the second thing is about gaining an advantage. Now, Chris, you said that if this was on tarmac, this would be a very different conversation. Explain why. Because I don't think he would have had that mad kick of oversteer, first of all, coming back onto the circuit. The reason that he had that extra bit of oversteer was because there was grass on his tyres, therefore he had a lack of grip. Now, he would have had a bit of dust on there, uh, naturally, but it, it wouldn't have been as bad and he would have been able to commit a little bit more you know we see those guys skating across those things when it's grass you have to back off way way more so they wouldn't have been anywhere near as close to each other for two as well you know so um there are those are the two biggest factors for me if if that had been an asphalt runoff area rather than grass and let's say that's the only one of those chicanes that still has grass on it so the, the time we saw this the most in recent times was the Mercedes of, of Hamilton and Rosberg battling together quite a lot. And, and we saw both drivers lock up and go off track at certain points. And I think we established when we talked about this on the show that generally you only had to give the place back. And in fact, I'll direct this at Matt. You only had to give the place back if there was an actual overtake happening and somebody aborted, much like Roman Grosjean did in Spa. If, for example, in Monza, when Rosberg wasn't under pressure and he just went off at turn one, had he not had to go through the bollards, he probably could have just resumed after that first chicane and and kept the lead. Yeah, but I mean, we have seen it before. Um, in fact, in Canada, um, Rosberg went off, kept his foot in it and gained an extra, I forget how many seconds. When yes, Hamilton he did. Was That's a classic situation. Yeah, because there was no overtake happening, Rosberg was not only able to keep, but extend his lead without consequence. And and they they adapted the rule and basically said, if you do that, that was your one because we didn't tell you, but you do it again and you'll be forced to yield the place. The stewards have great discretion to impose any penalty they see fit. And if they feel that Vettel gained an advantage, then they can request that he yield the position. And and I think that would have been the fairest outcome if you decide that the block was sufficient to require him to yield, to, to require a penalty. So fine, I don't think, yeah. yeah. 
five second penalties like next up on the ladder still quite uh quite a lenient penalty i'm not saying for this incident i'm saying on the scale of penalties he could have got from a uh, race ban and uh by the way in youtube there is a super chat feature so you can you can make a donation and your chat comes up really big and that's got my attention and it's from rachel taff who says matt you're very sexy what great taste you have rachel we all agree uh, thank you very much you can join our live chat room of course as so many of you have today by going to youtube and searching for missed apex podcast who have you paid to do that? Why would I pay for them to compliment Matt? I'd pay for them to compliment me. <laughs> exactly. <Not even> Matt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, so we've covered that sort of first technicality there of uh, giving the place back and if it was a tarmac runoff area. The, the thing that instantly got to me, the reason I went, that's a nailed on penalty, was simply for the, the crowding into the wall. Um, and if you look at the replay, the way I saw it was, he was obviously closing into the wall. Vettel seems to be trying to get away he seems to be trying to get away from the wall and leave a gap i'm I'm perfectly happy with that however if there had not been a a wall there it would have been like hamilton rosberg barcelona 2016 and hamilton would have been forced onto the grass so they were side by side there's no doubt at all hamilton's wheels were in front of vettel's rear wheels and vettel was closing that gap and he was closing it and closing it to the point where hamilton either had to hit the wall hold his ground, let Vettel hit him and let Vettel then spin in front of him and have a big crash uh, or uh, go into the wall. So it, for, for me, Matt, that is a very clear cut case of crowding. You you have to leave a car's width on any straight before the braking zone. So for me, that alone is worthy of a penalty. Yeah, again, I think that is your best argument. And that is the reason why he should have been, if anything, asked to give the place back but it also comes back to a matter of intent quite frankly of control he hadn't he did not have sufficient control of his vehicle to have purposefully done that to lewis i don't i i i think to me that and i see you nodding your head in disagreement and that's okay <laughs> we can disagree about about our interpretation of that because we don't have the data to prove it one way or the other uh, but to me, Vettel was out of control. He was on the grass. He was out of control until after the incident happened. So it's it would be like giving someone a penalty okay. because their tire punctured and then they ran into the back of you into turn one. I mean, C- kind I, of. I guess technically, but if if they'd have leaned out of the car, stabbed their own wheel, that 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 example you know might hold up. But this is this is Vettel out of control because Vettel made a mistake. To be fair, so I think the intention though does come secondarily. Uh, to anything else. I think the fact is, if you were looking at it from Lewis Hamilton's point of view, you're, you've put enough pressure on the guy in front. He's made a mistake. He's gone off the track. And then for whatever reason, he's then come back on and stopped you from, from overtaking. And in the course of stopping you from overtaking, he's broken several rules, i.e. the crowding rule. That is a specific rule in the sporting regulations about the amount of space you need to leave. And it doesn't, it doesn't say, you need to leave that space unless you're wildly out of control without your because of your own mistake, in which case we'll let you off. It says you need to leave that width. So I, I can't see any argument from the crowding alone. I can't see any argument against a penalty. Minor correction. It's actually the international sporting code that these uh, rules right. are in for anyone who wants to look them up at home. Uh, okay, then where should we go on to now? I think um, I don't think anyone's going to 
like solve the problem. We're certainly not going out there to to solve it definitively one way or, or another. And I'm sure that more arguments will will come across for the podcast that couldn't be bothered to stay up and do a race review. Just remember, even though they have the extra information, Missed Apex Podcast was there for you. So remember to subscribe on your podcatcher of choice and follow us at Spanners Ready, at Missed Apex F1, at Chris on Racing and at MattPT55. Chris, should the sporting side of it come into it? Some people are a little bit upset because perhaps the stewards should have read the situation and realised that, you know, it's ruining the race. We desperately need a Ferrari win here. It's going to be really bad optics. We should have just let them race and let them get on with it and not considered the rule book at all. So when answering this question, I want you to assume that it definitely was a penalty, as in the rule state it was a penalty. Should they have just brushed it aside? No, absolutely not. I mean... It was a a really good battle up until that point. And there's no doubt about it. Seb getting that penalty ruined the race because it was completely dry after that. Anything that happened between the two of them just didn't matter. So at that point, you know, you've you you've got Seb, you know, leading a race and not leading the race, which is a situation I always hate seeing because it, it just means that whatever you see on the road in front of you actually bears no relation to what's actually happening in the race but no i mean a, a rule is a rule is a rule you know and uh, as much as i think you know there should have been some leniency in in this situation it's not because it was a battle for the lead or because it would have been good for the race itself or, or because formula one needs somebody other than mercedes to win a race those are all things that just do not come into play when it comes to working out racing incidents. All right. Well, I've got a follow-up question for both of you. Do you think the internet reaction would have been different if it had been for not first place or if it had been the drivers reversed or if it had been the championship leader in first place rather than second place? So does the championship situation affect the outrage? And I will tell you afterwards what our little Missed Apex poll said. those last two, no. First one, yes. And it, had it been for a, a lower paying position, people might have just kind of brushed it off because you think, oh, it's, it's not, it hasn't really, hasn't affected me as a, as a viewer, really. But this was up front. This is headline stuff. Every single motorsport publication tomorrow is going to be talking about this incident, this rule and this penalty. Yeah, we've never spent half an hour of a show talking about one incident, to be fair, Matt. I'll just give you the results of the poll on this Apex podcast after 500 votes, and we put this on just before the show. Initially, it was about 90% no, it shouldn't be a penalty. That has swung a little back to 30%. So it's about 30-70 saying no, it should not have been a penalty. But would that have been affected in different championship situations is this frustration from f1 fans fed up of hamilton and mercedes domination i think to a certain extent yeah i i think people were desperate to see a race we saw leclerc in bahrain lose the lead because he had reliability issues and i think that was that was frustrating for them and now again we have vettel in the lead and point taken that Lewis was hindered from overtaking and had Vettel not lost control when he hit the circuit again, Lewis would have got round him. I, I'm in no doubt of that. Um, but it worked out. 
it worked out that Vettel was ahead and not even that he had to give it back and chase, but that they steward said here, have five seconds. You can't possibly get that far ahead of him. So essentially we've given Lewis the win. And, and I think that's a reasonable reaction because I don't think it was the correct prescription for that situation. All right, then, Chris, if he had been given no penalty and Lewis Hamilton, who had, in fact, let's not say Lewis Hamilton, let's say the Hamilton-Mercedes car combination had better race pace than the Vettel-Ferrari combination. And that was his one chance to overtake where his window where he had better traction, better tyres. He had all that momentum and Seb was only able to hang on to it by wrestling the car towards the wall after making a mistake. If there was no penalty, would Hamilton fans not feel justified in going, well, hang on, we was robbed. We was robbed there. Uh, yeah, they, they would do. But a fan of somebody will will make an argument for anything if they're, if they're hardcore enough. I think whether that was his only chance or not is irrelevant. You know, that's not... I get that's another one of those things you wouldn't take into no, no, account. No, no, not, no, not, not for the penalty. I'm just saying, would people, because now at the moment, there's loads of people saying it was stolen from Vettel. The FIA took the win from him. But if they hadn't given the penalty, couldn't we equally say, well, you know, that was a penalty. So you've, you've taken it from Hamilton. Let's go to Matt first. Yeah, well, again, my disagreement would be if, if you give Vettel five seconds with that many laps left, then essentially you've given Lewis the win. So, so no, I don't see it the same. Hamilton had every chance to still try and get past Vettel on track, but Vettel had no chance of gaining a full five seconds on Hamilton with the amount of laps left that he had. So in that sense, I disagree. Hold that thought, Chris. We will be talking more about this incident. We'll also be covering a fascinating qualifying session, the rise of Renault, great performances from McLaren, and are we going to see the end of Pierre Gasly at Red Bull. All that in just a moment. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
Chris Stevens, tell me a little bit about what you're up to in the world of media. You are an ambassador for a cause. Yes, absolutely. So on Thursday, uh, there was a wonderful new movement that was announced called Racing Pride UK, uh, which is all about giving a little bit of visibility to LGBTQ plus uh, people in motorsport, uh, not just uh, drivers, but anyone who uh, works in, in motorsport and uh, to, to you know, unify them and, and the allies as well, which ideally is everyone. So this is you know something that ev- everyone can rally uh, behind, but it's it's about voicing the fact that motorsport is inclusive, uh, which is exactly what we want to be saying you know about motorsport because there isn't a lot of diversity in motorsport. I think if, if you, especially if you look at the top levels, the upper echelons of motorsport, it's all very similar, and you you don't see a lot of LGBT people. Uh, publicly anyway and that's something we we want to change to help inspire uh, another generation so i mean even within our whatsapp group though certain people said hey you know what's the what's the point of this it doesn't matter what your sexual preference is for for racing a car but but for me matt i mean you know how much of a family man i am how much of my identity is wrapped up in my marriage and my kids if i didn't feel like i was able to openly bring Mrs. Spanners, Treeface and Little V to an event like the karting without risking some kind of prejudice or discrimination, that would absolutely kill me. And it breaks my heart to think that there's people in that situation. Yeah, I I have to agree wholeheartedly. I've never, I've never understood it. I've never understood why people feel this way. And I have seen at my age, the other side of it. Um, I've seen families that have cut off all relations with relatives for that reason at their funerals, weeping at their decision. I just don't understand it. And I fully support it. And I good on you, Chris, for taking up the mantle and doing something about it. Yeah. If you want to find out more, uh, there's the website Racing Pride uh, UK. And there's also uh, on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Go check them out at Racing Pride UK. Yeah. Love is love. All right, so a little bit about the fallout of the Sebastian Vettel situation. Quite emotional from from Vettel, Matt? Yeah, I I loved it. We should mention, though, it's not just that he got the five-second penalty, but it's also been pointed out to me, although we had it in our notes, he also got two penalty points for that. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, well, that seems like a a bit of a kick in the nads that might not be (laughs) entirely necessary. Uh, But yeah, but Chris, I mean, moving the boards... Uh, swapping it one and two, nearly storming off. Clearly, someone persuaded him to go back and do his interview. Firstly, you know, there's there's an incoming pony, so watch out. But secondly, he did manage to 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 get it together, and at least he did not take out at all on Hamilton. And it was all very civil between those two drivers as well in, in the end. But you know, that's the passion we want to see. Uh, the the respect between the two drivers, especially on the podium, really was um, good to see. You know that's. Seb saying, don't boo Lewis, boo the decision, because that's what's taken it uh, away. That It was funny watching him moving the boards. I mean, anybody who saw the Formula 3 race in Barcelona would have seen that there was a bit of a, a, a mishap there and the leader didn't actually win the race and they had to very awkwardly swap the boards over, which is a, a little reminiscent of that. Um, but a, a lot of people say, you know, that, oh, that's childish, it's a bit petulant, and 
in a way I'm inclined to agree, but also like props for doing that. Like that's a real passion that you're seeing there. And we talk so much about drivers, you know, being uh, PR machines and, and robots and, you know, every sentence is basically, you know, insert sponsor here and generic phrase here, you know, and it's so great to see actual human moments in, in sport like that. Roger Kulin in the chat room says, if you don't get a penalty, you're not trying. Definitely. Again, I I was having this conversation with Joe Sayward and we had this conversation, I think on our news show where we said, it's not for the lack of trying. If anything, a lot of Vettel's failures, and there have been failures, are proof and evidence of the passion he has when he puts the helmet on. He is a driver, a champion, pushing to the absolute limit. Yeah, if we're going to talk about what Vettel did after the race, I got to say, as if I were a scriptwriter, I couldn't have written it any better. <laughs> because he, shoving his car back, having to be talked into the podium, switching the boards, which is like, Say what you will. It certainly seemed to gather a lot of applause from the audience. And then yet at the same time, asking people not to boo Lewis, saying it wasn't his decision. I just, I have to hand it to him. I don't think he could have played it much better than he did. Yeah. So we'll give him some props for that. Still a bit of a pony, isn't it, though, for swapping the boards around? In the latest episode of Imagine If Lewis Hamilton Did It, that is, there's an incoming pony. So just brace yourself for that. (laughs) Uh, Matt, any last points on this incident? Uh, No, but I would agree with you. It would have been seen very differently had Hamilton done it. I wouldn't argue that point at all. But I I would have been equally happy for him to have done it because it was just genius television. Okay, so one Hamfosi thing I'm going to end this on. And because we're going to stop talking about this incident now and we will go on to other non-Hamilton Vettel stuff and you're all going to switch off, I will just say please do support us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Check out our other shows, Apex TV, where we've just teased the uh, the Picard trailer for the new Star Trek movie. Fascinating F1 facts. There's now six short, bite-sized, fascinating F1 facts read by me, written by Joe Saywood. E-Radio Show uh, as well covers the electric racing thing. I think it's remote control. I'm not sure. I haven't been following it. And also we'll be reviewing the W Series race. Round three happened on Saturday. We'll be reviewing that on monday um so what i've lost what i said i was going to say before i did all those plugs uh, but matt will save me right oh so no no I'll... no it's not it was my own point it was my own point that i was going to go back to so shut up matt i know what i'm doing i've got this this is the only ham thing i'm gonna say which is going to come off a bit fanboy however l- let's be clear hamilton was faster he put seb under pressure he was as you said like a shark hunting down sebastian vettel and, and and once again, Sebastian Vettel has made a mistake in that racing combat situation, Chris. And if I was a Sebastian Vettel fan, in fact, if the situation was reversed as a Lewis Hamilton fan, I would be more angry at, at Lewis Hamilton than I would be at the stewards because I'd be like, come on, why? Again, if you'd have kept it on the track, this is a hard place to pass. You probably would have held him off. Yeah, so it's weird that Nick isn't on the show, really, isn't it, to make his debut again, because this is exactly the kind of situation he lives for on this show. Um, no, um, this is a more of an overtaking track than a lot of the circuits we've raced on already this season, certainly more so than Barcelona, Australia, probably China. Um, Bahrain would probably be the top one, but the Ferrari had such immense top-end speed that 
Vettel bagging pole position, even if he was going to struggle with those tires, just put him in such a prime position for that race. Because even with DRS, trying to make up eight kilometers down the straight was going to be so difficult for Lewis. He would have needed everything that it had to to give with with the slipstream and the DRS and you know the whole Urs attack and and everything. Um, I would say we saw two cars very closely matched with two very different performance attributes. And both of those drivers were maximizing everything they had and a little bit more. It was sublime to watch for throughout qualifying and throughout those first 40 laps of the race. Well, in that case, that sounds like a good time to find out where the race was won and lost. Obviously, Matt, we normally do this at the beginning of the show, but this incident did did require a an appropriate reaction based on how invested everybody was with it. And you and I will probably talk tomorrow afternoon as well on the Patreon podcast and quite possibly have a, a midweek or Sunday show. However, this was fascinating. This was one of the races that you were calling as not necessarily a Mercedes walkover. So it's down to you to say, where was the race won and lost? Well, if we're going to start at the beginning, I think we have to look at the start where Vettel got away cleanly. And it was actually Lewis looking to defend against Leclerc, which sort of set the tone. It was very uncontroversial from there. Lewis held off about two seconds and they pitter-pattered around. Um, More interesting things happened behind, obviously. Uh, But as far as the sharpen goes, that was pretty much it. It And by time they got to the first set of pit stops, it was really only a race between Leclerc, Hamilton, and Vettel, absent a safety car. So is there, is there anything that, that, that Mercedes could have done differently, Chris? Because for, for a minute, on the overlap graphic, it looked like there was a window where Hamilton might have been able to pit and at least have a chance. But certainly, Mercedes didn't go for the undercut. I, was there a feeling that the overcut was the way to go? There's a lot of early pit stops in this race. No, we, we saw such extreme temperatures this weekend, and today was the hottest that it got. That people were thinking that even the soft tire wouldn't go, you know, seven or eight laps into the Grand Prix, um, and which is why you look at Nico Hulkenberg who did 16 laps on that tire, and you think, wow, that was really, really impressive. But uh, it was always going to be, you know start on the medium, go to the hard. Uh, I feel like two laps was some weird middle ground between two strategies of pitting with Seb, which would have pretty much just guaranteed it would have stayed behind him, or extending the stint. Now, could they really extend the stint? They didn't, at the time, have the gap to Bottas. That's why he stayed out the extra lap. But then why not just pit him and tell Bottas to move out the way straight away You've got that little straight between turns two and three. Bottas could have just immediately uh, ducked out the way and would have risked the position behind him, I think, if it was close enough. But it was an option, I think. Well, I think for me, what that overlooks, and this is my biggest strategy question of all, is why, given Leclerc's relative closeness to Hamilton, why they didn't push him and undercut Hamilton. And, And I didn't. Because I, and please understand, normally I would have the answer to this question, but the app had stopped functioning. I had no data channel at all from F1 TV. So I was very limited in what I was able to compare. But to my mind, if you're going to pit Vettel, 
I would have pitted Leclerc. I would have pushed Leclerc into Hamilton, tried to undercut Hamilton, and then had him slow up enough for Vettel to get the pit stop and come back out in front. And I don't know for the life of me why they didn't try that because he was with he was under he was two and a half seconds back when Vettel pitted. In terms of other things, I'm saying potentially could have done differently. Although this one is a, a very much a, a balancing act, is that you know we saw Lewis so often uh, getting out of the slipstream of Vettel because uh, otherwise it would have overheated his car. Uh, now. It, it's always a trade-off, cooling versus downforce. The more cooling you have, the less downforce that you're going to have. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that if you have more cooling and less downforce, you have more top-end speed as well because it's a different kind of d- downforce and a different error efficiency. So had it been a bit cooler, for example, Lewis could have afforded to spend more time in that slipstream or potentially if Mercedes had gone down a different cooling philosophy but those are quite you know extreme ends of the uh of the scale there we knew it was going to be a hot weekend in canada yeah and i think that the heat obviously uh, maybe that should have made it on there although my three choices were the leclerc lack of an undercut which meant that it was really hamilton versus vettel mm. so there was no one to keep the pressure off of vettel at the end of the race and uh, the uh the stewards call themselves you know, that was the third thing, but we've already discussed that. So those are my three places, critical points of the race. I was quite surprised that Ferrari were able to hang on to the tires as well as they did, because we've been talking uh, about how the Mercedes has been the king of the corners and particularly on the exit of those corners, it's got such supreme traction. Whereas when you look at the Ferrari, even on Seb's pole lap, it's wayward and all over the place and he's spinning up those tires. Uh, and it, you keep doing that in the race, you're going to burn through them a little bit quicker. And it kept happening uh, in the race as well. So, and you know, we saw Seb was dragging that car around a little bit waywardly. So it's, um, uh, it was a little bit of a surprise for me anyway, to see Ferrari able to, to hang on to the tires as well as the Mercedes. Yeah, but let's not forget, since we were talking about tires... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. We are not talking about... No, 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 no tires. No I tires love here. tires. I don't know where this has come from. Please do continue. I, I, I've needed a nap for some time. Let's not forget that the fundamental issue the teams have been talking about is they've gone from having to keep the tires in the window, as in keep them from overheating, to not being able to get them fully up and keep them in that temperature with the thinner tread depth. In fact, we saw... Horner and uh, Ferrari calling for a rollback to last year's blister tires as they feel like this has given Mercedes such an advantage given the relative design concepts of the cars. But with a higher track temperature, it's not surprising to me that the Ferrari would work better because it's going to help them keep the tires, tire treads hot enough to stay in harmony with the carcass of the tire, which is where most of the teams have been struggling. Good. And I feel kind of guilty because we're not even, you know, going to get to qualifying most likely uh, where the tyres did play quite a big part as well. Uh, however, if we are going to do some qualifying notes, can we just say, because we've sort of given, we've put Vettel under the under the microscope a little. Can we just take some time to say that Vettel pulled out an outstanding qualifying session? And, and I'm not going to be popular with my fellow Hamfosi here, I think that Sebastian Vettel is a better qualifier than Lewis Hamilton overall. When we look back in the eras, we'll see that Sebastian Vettel is somebody who delivers in qualifying. Lewis Hamilton is much faster. I think he's faster than just about anyone in qualifying. 
but Lewis Hamilton keeps leaving the door open. And if people are going to be consistent in those qualifying, getting that one lap pace in, and Lewis Hamilton is going to keep rolling the dice going for the ultimate lap, he's going to keep losing out, Matt. I mean, we, that was a scruffy qualifying from Hamilton. Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, and it was, it was that way because he had put it into the wall the day before and lost a big chunk of free practice too, if I recall my events correctly. And he was not the only one for stop and hit the wall. Um, and of course, in qualifying, Magnuson did perhaps the most damage to everybody by chucking it in there right as the checkers fell. And everybody was trying to get their best lap in. And he just shut the whole thing down. All right, look, we've got loads to get through. I think we're definitely going to have to catch up at some point in the weekend. Uh, but it's only fair, Chris, that we talk about Stroll defeating Perez in the Stroll Racing Point driver battle. They they split their strategies over at Force India and, uh, and Stroll certainly managed to make those hard tyres last long enough to take full advantage of the strategy that he was given. Mm, good first stint. For, like, tr- credit where it's due. Uh, and especially in qualifying as well, to be only uh, 69 thousandths of a second away from his teammate, given that he was running a, a six-race-old engine, an older spec engine, after the uh, issue that he had in FP3, the minute he had to go back to the old engine. So, uh, yeah, credit where it's due. Uh, and in qualifying as well. So he had an, an older engine because his Mercedes 2.0 blew up, so they had to stick the old engine back in there. Uh, Perez also very scruffy, though and 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 at a weekend where there was a lot of drivers actually were pretty scruffy pretty ragged stroll kept it fully planted and and like he probably maximized his qualifying and i tell you what that i never normally see from stroll which i did see in qualifying was him actually being super super aggressive really attacking the curbs and going for it and on his final q1 lap was just drifting all the way through to the wall of champions so you know an, an, an aggressive spunky uh, and nailed on drive from stroll very hard to argue against that he was he was off perez you know but it, but not by much and the, that new power unit had to be worth at least a few tenths didn't it yeah, uh, i believe two tenths is what they said okay so good. So I, I'm happy to count that as a, a win to stroll in their in their driver battle, Chris. Uh, sorry, Matt. No, well, I was going to use this to talk a little bit more about the midfield because he delivered on a strategy that looked to be a real winner because of the midfield and the top 10 all having to start on the soft tires and them being very horrible to race on for more than a few laps. He put on the hard tires and drove, as you said, pretty much an error-free race to get up to, I believe so, up to like seventh position at one point, maybe even sixth before he pitted. And uh, I was surprised. I thought he was going to come out uh, behind Kvyat, but he managed to get out, the team managed to get him out ahead of Kvyat and into the points-paying position after his pit stop. And from there, he just made hay with his new tires. And and so good to racing point, because I got to say, after qualifying, I was like, oh, man, things are not going well for them this weekend, are they? They're both out in Q1. Of course, the kings of sort of Formula B this weekend was Renault, wasn't it? I mean, out of nowhere. We've been looking at them thinking they've not been having the best start to the season given where we think they should be, given that they're a manufacturer team and they're being very heavily rivaled by their customer, uh, which is 
not great and we don't even think they have the third best engine anymore we think that's the honda now so out, out of nowhere on a track with a lot of straights is a lot of you know low down medium downforce low speed corners uh, where they were not bad in monaco but a really good showing from both of those cars and ricardo like planting it fourth on the grid around it amazing i'm wondering if for Renault, it was the same situation with the track being hot, maybe helping to solve some of their problems with the tires. So I'm beginning to wonder if they're having the same sort of issues keeping the tires in the right place as we've seen with some of the other teams. Because on this hotter track, suddenly they look like the Renault that we remember from last year. Yeah, I think a lot of what we will end up seeing this year in terms of performance, especially in the midfield where it sort of ebbs and flows a lot of the time will be down to the tires. And we know these tires are a bit of a mystery to a lot of these teams uh, because they're very different to last year and they're basically Mercedes seem to be the only ones who know how to get the best out of them on a consistent basis. Um, and it's all, it's all been very track dependent. Like we see Haas, again, having an absolute nightmare of a race where Kevin Magnussen couldn't move beyond you know the Williams cars. Yeah, he started from pit lane, but with the car, with the raw speed that he had underneath him, you'd expect him to at least progress through the field uh, a little bit. And we saw McLaren really strong in qualifying, slip back in the race. Yeah, we did. And I wonder to what extent, again, this the temperature of the track might be influencing some of these performances because of the effect on the tires. Although with Haas, I do want to point out they were running a brand new rear suspension that they'd gotten from Ferrari. And so I'm not as surprised that they had a terrible race because I don't think that's the kind of thing that you can just dial in in, in two free practices and be done. Um, I was surprised they, they, they chose to run with it this weekend and not wait until they had a testing interval to really get properly on top of it. But that being the case, uh, Magnuson made his own bed by destroying his car and having to have it completely rebuilt. Surely they have had that in the simulator they had that in the barcelona test after the race surely they've been running that or, or, or a version of it for a long time before introducing it on the car you wouldn't put it on the car if you didn't think it was going to make your car quicker yeah well it makes the car lighter i'm just saying that given the challenges they may not have the data to properly tune the thing because they they've just started running it in races this weekend and we did see a track that was much hotter than I think every other track we've been on, except for maybe Bahrain when the sun was up. Okay, guys. So I do appreciate that we've spent a lot of time on the Vettel Hamilton incident, and there are a lot of subjects we didn't cover. So we'll fire through a few of them, but most of them we can cover actually in the awards as well. Thank you to the massive turnout on YouTube. Make sure whatever you use to, to listen and consume Mr. Apex podcast, you subscribe. So on YouTube, do click subscribe and the little bell and you'll get a notification whenever we go live, whatever time that is. And you'll also get a notification when the edited version goes up in the morning as well. And for the podcast too, of course, you can get it from mistapexpodcast.com. But go to your podcast player. So if you're on Android, something like Pocket Casts or Dogcatcher or something like that. And on iTunes, use your uh, Apple I don't know. I don't really know how Apple works. I think you just do you call a premium number and get a man to do it for you. I think that's that's how that works, Chris. It's getting all split up now, isn't oh, is it? it? So there's Apple Podcasts now. 
Good. I think that'll probably be good. Uh, anyway, uh, we should quickly cover as that the Renault, credit where it's due, they look like they've had at least a good weekend. So for them, that needs to continue because they have been underperforming. Uh, but what about uh, Norris's suspension overheating? Matt, I've never seen anything like that. But they've cooked metal. They've cooked through heat from the brakes has cooked through the suspension and just made the wheel. The wheel has melted off. Yeah, uh, there's someone just asked about it in the chat room. I haven't seen a specific explanation, but if I had to guess, I would guess that some debris or something got lodged in a brake duct and it overheated and caught fire. And then that was just going to be like once it started to eat through the lines, it was just going to sort of carry on until it was done. And I think that's what caused it. Which is a shame because Norris looked to be on a bit of a result there and at eight to one was priced very well to be best of the rest. I'm not saying he would have beaten the Renaults, uh, but if you had to put money on either the McLarens or the Renaults, packing it in and not finishing, you would have put your money on the Renaults, wouldn't you? Anyway, guys, uh, do follow us at MissedApexF1, me at SpannersReady, Chris at ChrisOnRacing on Twitter, and Matt at MattPT55. So despite all the shouting in the stewards' room, despite pole position for Sebastian Vettel, his first pole since Hockenheim last year, it is another Mercedes victory. That is seven out of seven. We have some awards to give out, though. And I think uh, if one of us doesn't give it to Sebastian Vettel, there's going to be riots. Uh, Bagsy, not me. So who is your thing of the weekend, Chris Stevens? Danny Ricciardo, easily. Fourth on the grid in the Renault, out-qualifying a works Mercedes and two works Red Bulls. That is an astounding achievement and a, a brilliant race as well, given that Hulkenberg had the more optimum strategy, yet he still outraced him. Absolutely agree with that. Uh, Trumpets, who's your thing of the weekend? Well, you know, I'm tempted to give it to Gunther Steiner for his rebuke to his whining driver. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. Wow. Uh, yeah. So Magnussen basically came on the radio and started just berating his team, not just once, but several times for it being an undrivable car, for saying that you know he's uh, he's never driven a worse car in all of F1. And everyone, everyone, millions of people around the world are going, dude, you put that car in the wall and made them rebuild it. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. But as you say, Gunther Steiner came on, Ross brawned it. Absolutely. So that that's the, I think that has to be, although I'm tempted to choose Vettel's post-race antics because I thought that was just sheer genius. I, I think I think I will go. I will leave Vettel to you and I will go that way and commend Steiner for not being afraid to take on his best performing driver and smack some sense into him when it was time. Oh, curse you trumpets. All right, here we go. <sighs> My thing of the weekend, my thing of the weekend is Sebastian. Is, is this up enough? My thing of the weekend is Sebastian Vettel for that great pole position, for being a great qualifier, for keep pushing it hard. He wasn't going to give up that place to Lewis Hamilton. And in the end, he pushed so hard that all it probably took was the draft and the dirty air from back markers to, to mean that him pushing it on the limit meant he lost it into turn three. And then after that, he didn't give up either. I believe when you look at the trace, you probably find that he he put his foot down pretty 
in a pretty sporty fashion to try and get out of it. And as a net result, that did push him out to the racing line, which did block Lewis Hamilton. But he did everything he could to hold that lead. He fought. I absolutely think the penalty was the correct thing, but not because he did anything bad. He did what racing drivers are supposed to do. He did what champions are supposed to do. So Sebastian Vettel is my thing of the weekend. Whew, that hurt. Okay, uh, let's um, slag people off now. Uh, Chris, who bad thing, bad award thing? Oh no, you missed the apex. My missed apex award goes to a tweet from Rich Energy that they have since oh, deleted. If you drink, never tweet, Rich Energy. Right. This is this is amazing. We all remember how at the beginning of the season they were bragging about how they were quicker than Red Bull in testing because that's really amazing. Well done, guys. Anyway, so uh, after Kevin Magnussen's massive shunt in uh, Q2, which ironically guaranteed him a spot in Q3, uh, they uh, they tweeted thus, Kevin Magnussen pushing the limits, hits the wall and knocks out Max Verstappen. Oh, dear. Um, on the weekend that they removed the stag. Yeah, so D-double-E-R. There's so much wrong with that tweet. Firstly, yeah. firstly, you're horrible people. Stop tweeting. Secondly, your driver smashed into the wall and not only wrecked everybody's qualifying and wrecked his, his own car for the race, but also stopped your other driver from progressing out of Q2. That is the worst tweet I've ever read. And the best time to delete it would have been immediately after sending it. But at least they did eventually delete it. Do you know what's great as well? They tagged Red Bull in it as well, just to rub it in. But also they used the hashtag better than Red Bull. I think that somebody needs to be having words. So uh, Rich Energy. Oh no, you missed the apex. Matt Trumpets, bad thing award. Who ungood badness for you in racing Grand Prix thing? Um, who missed the apex? Ah, this is so challenging because I was mucking about in the chat room instead of thinking about it when you gave me my opportunity. Um, Magnuson, sorry, he he took what could have been a good weekend and ruined it for his entire team. No, that's it. He didn't just ruin it for himself. He ruined it for himself, his teammate, then blamed his team publicly on the radio, not afterwards. Where's your head at? I love K-Mag. You know, just because obviously I, I have a big Danish vi- uh, bias as well. I, I do like him as a person and a racer. But yeah, that is a an immature, a, a disappointingly immature weekend, isn't it, from Kevin Magnussen, Matt? Yeah, I mean, he's been... Fairly mistake-free up until that point. And had it just been that, yeah, well, you know, everybody makes mistakes. And he was he was not doing anything wrong when that crash happened in terms of trying to control the car. He wasn't, you know, spinning up the wheels and driving across the road at Barcelona on the first lap or anything like that. But it just spiraled from there. And I'm really surprised, although I would understand his frustration. But yeah, no, poof. Yeah, there you go. Done. I'm sorry to, to backtrack, but somebody in the chat room just pointed out that Rich Energy also tweeted uh, today about Sky. And uh, they said that they were watching Sky. And I quote, listening to Crofty, we can't help but yearn for the halcyon days of the legendary James Hunt and Maury Walker, who imparted such excitement to fans with real authority. 
It's a bit unnecessary, isn't it? Yeah, but also Crofty and Brundle can really follow what's going on on track without getting massively confused. Love Murray Walker. However, the best thing that ever happened to F1 commentary was him getting Brundle as a partner. Because we, you know, I remember like as a five-year-old shouting at the screen going, but no, that didn't happen, Murray. And Brundle came along. And ever since then, we've had sane commentary in in Formula One. So shut up, Rich Energy. Uh, We've got more bad things, haven't we? Uh, For me. So I've got two. I'm going to be greedy here. Firstly, I'm disappointed by Bottas. Uh, he's had a disappointing weekend, very scruffy in qualifying. And I just can't imagine Lewis Hamilton being held up behind a Renault for as long as Bottas was. I'm not going to pretend to understand the finer points of who had what car and what issues. It seemed weird, Chris, to see uh, uh, Bottas essentially waiting for Hulkenberg to pit. That was an odd one. He should have should have been able to get past, surely. No, I was really surprised. Really poor weekend for Valtteri Bottas. Like an unacceptably bad weekend. Not just you know the mistakes in qualifying, but P6 on the grid behind a Renault. That's just not good enough. It's plain as paper. Cool. And my other Missed Apex Award goes to Pierre Gasly. I've been really hoping there was going to be a res, res, resonance, 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 renaissance, renaissance uh, from Pierre Gasly. But it's not happened. And the whisper I am hearing is that the decision has all but been made that Gasly is out in the summer and that either Albon or Kvyat is going to come in to replace him. You'd think it'd be clear when you, it seems a little bit too early for Albon. They don't want to make the same mistake again of rushing somebody into the senior team. But, you know, with, with Gasly, you, you, you want him to be doing better, don't you really? And the team have really, really defended him, but he really is running out of opportunities to show his worth. Uh, the chat room would like to get in um, to the Missed Apex Award and point out that whoever painted the garage floor should perhaps be considered because the, Cars kept on ripping up huge chunks of paint from the garage (laughs) during all the sessions. Fair enough. Thank you very much, guys. Um, We've got Pony Awards as well. Obviously, Kevin Magnuson for ranting. Daddy, I want a pony. That was loud. Sorry. And I want it now. And uh, also, Roman Grosjean for trying to get Perez referred to the steward's office for racing. There was like literally nothing wrong with the way Perez came through there. Like they can't expect them to never touch. And he left a massive wide open gap. It wasn't a lunge. It was a surprising, a surprising challenge. Yeah. I think this is the, one of the biggest issues with Formula One at the moment and why Formula One drivers aren't seen as proper athletes and gladiators is that as soon as anything gets not even elbows out, like toes out, some of them start whinging to the stewards, which is just wrong. Matt? At least they're consistent about it. Yeah, at least Grosjean consistently does that. Sorry, Vettel's got to get one as well. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. You can't strop to the podium and take away the number one board from the race winner and put it in front of your car and not get a pony award. You can't strop off and stroll around the paddock through everyone's garage and not talk to anyone and nearly refuse to go to the podium without getting a pony award. I understand it. I get it. But he definitely gets the award for me. Uh, There's one award left, though, isn't there, Matt? Comment of the week. Comment of the week. 
no, the chat room didn't remind me. I just remembered. Matt, have you got... You're so stunned, aren't you? You're not ready. You you normally do all the prep for this in the outro. Well, I hate to say it, but there has been perhaps a dearth of humorous comments. People have taken this very seriously. Um, but we do have a few. I will say Mercedes have just done a tweet that would be a contender had they bothered to join the chat room. They basically tweeted a picture of the Lewis Hamilton's car with the number one board in front of it. And yes, there's some words with it that say blah, blah, blah. It doesn't quite feel the same. But the trolling is there with the fact that it's the number one board in that tweet. Well done, Mercedes. But who in the chat room is a contender for comment of the week? Well, turns out that our friend Stuart Neal is in very early with a mat. How about the race in five seconds rather than the race in 60 seconds? Uh, Our friend Rachel telling me I'm very sexy because, you know, compliments will get you everywhere in this in this in this competition. Okay, so we have to clarify that that was a a super chat. So you can donate to make your, your comment highlighted. That doesn't mean that you're more likely to win comment of the week. We'll make that clear, Matt. And I, I am, in fact, going to disqualify that from winning this week. Ah, all right. Well, I did try. Um, and then New European uh, was in with several. Good. But I think we will go with um, Charles. Sebastian is grassier than you. Keep your distance. Ouch. And um, perhaps my favorite. Today we have seen again, like for the past three seasons, how Hulkenberg is only a statistic. And I have one more from Bataves, or Bataves. Renault will be champion with the budget cap in all caps. There was one like right at the beginning of the show uh, from Hatsan, I think, that was uh, Grassi Ragazzi. Oh, right. right, grass. Okay, so that's a pun. I feel like I want to ban all puns unless Nick is in charge. Okay, Matt, who is the winner of Comment of the Week this week? Um, I think we will have to go with Stuart Neal. How about the race in five seconds rather than the race in 60 seconds? Comment of the week. Thanks very much, guys. Loads of content coming up this week. Me and Matt will catch up on the Patreon podcast. We'll definitely be here on the live stream Sunday, 8 p.m. But until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Mistake Pets. Hit it, Bjorn. quick talking point after the race i've hit record again because we've just had news through that ferrari didn't tell the clerk about vettel's penalty that is rough that is some rough going for the clerk so he did not have the opportunity to close the gap up to claim second place what difference does it make to the team if the clerk comes second or not what you if you were Leclerc's engineer and you're not giving him that opportunity to gain another place, that means Leclerc goes back to the garage knowing that his race engineer held back from him information that could have given him another place on the podium. Yeah, but it's just like um, Australia, isn't it, where they uh, where they told Leclerc not to attack Vettel, even though he was way quicker. It was not going to make any difference to the points that the team scores. So, so why, why even bother doing anything about it? Yeah, I can see the message. Uh, Vettel has a five-second penalty, so hold station. Exactly. <laughs> Done. Well, I think that has solved any residual argument about number ones, number twos. But anyway, good, goodbye again. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.